We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Is it possible that when we get to the regular season opener against the Jacksonville Jaguars, September 11th, that there is one to two Washington commanders on the pup list, on the physically unable to perform list? J.P. Finley brought it up. He didn't report it, but he brought it up in the course of a conversation with me that you will hear coming up here Shortly, J.P. Finley on the show today. Uh, We haven't talked a lot about the pup list and perhaps being without a key player or two when the regular season starts, Um, but that will come up in the conversation with J.P. uh, coming up shortly. Uh, The NBA game last night, the Mavs and the Warriors, it was another one of these one-sided blowouts in the NBA playoffs. There have been... 21 of them so far, 20-point-plus wins in the NBA playoffs. They are nearing a record for the most 20-point-plus wins in the history of the NBA playoffs. Now, last night's final tally was 10, um, but the Mavericks were up by 29 early in the fourth quarter. The game was never in doubt. They stave off elimination. They're down three games to one. Um, There are lots of theories as to why we're seeing so many blowouts in the NBA playoffs, I don't buy any of them. You know, there is this theory of, you know, basically it's become a make-and-miss three-point league and there have been a bunch of nights where teams have made them and the other teams missed them. Well, you know, there have been many playoff series over the years where you've had both teams making them or both teams missing them and that results in a close game. You know, there's the theory of if you're down 2 nothing, you know, um, which there have been a, a few 2 nothing series leads. This series last night that resumed was a 3 nothing series lead that maybe the team that's up, you know, it doesn't feel the pressure of winning. I don't buy that theory because in many cases, the team down 3-0 feels like it's over and they go into the night pretty meekly. Um, I don't know what the reason for all of these blowout NBA playoff games uh, is, but... Uh, I don't think it's making it very entertaining to watch. You know, I'm tuning into these games and then I am tuning out when they are over. And they've been over early 
uh, on a lot of nights. Tonight we've got a Game 5 in the Eastern Conference Finals with the series deadlocked at two games apiece. It's in Miami, and the Celtics are one-and-a-half point favorites. By the way, Ava Wallace from the Washington Post um, ran into Bradley Beal uh, the other day, and Beal uh, did say that he is leaning towards signing that five-year $246 million contract extension, uh, that max contract extension, which would pay him $49.2 million per year. Uh, Tommy had that first. Tommy reported that, you know, probably like a month ago, maybe even longer than that, that uh, he had uh, sources that were telling him that Beal was going to sign uh, that deal. Um, before I get to more uh, sports in this opening segment, including some NFL topics which have kind of popped up, some of which um, include discussion about the Washington Commanders. Uh, last night was one of those nights, you know, where pretty much everything, sports uh, for sure, took a backseat to a heartbreaking news story. 19 children as of now. Uh, at an elementary school in Texas, gunned down by an 18-year-old nutcase. You know, two teachers were killed as well. It all happened, according to the latest reports, in one classroom, a fourth-grade classroom, as the gunman barricaded himself from police and then killed most of uh, and injured the rest of those that were in that one classroom. Uh, this is a place where you come for sports, and this is what we usually do 90% of the time. I mean, certainly Tommy and I and Cooley and I um, will go off on non-sports tangents, and occasionally we'll discuss some of the you know topics of the day. Uh, I, I'm just going to say this. I don't know enough about guns. I don't know that much about guns. I know a lot of people with guns, and I've listened in on debates in certain settings about the Second Amendment and about gun control laws. Um, I've read some over the years about a lot of these, you know, so-called common sense gun laws. Um, but I, uh, I'm not an expert. I would never profess to be. I just know that when I see the pictures of these adorable eight, nine, ten-year-olds who went to school yesterday morning with, in many cases, their loving parents dropping them off. I just know that yesterday at a school um, in Texas, uh, that shouldn't be for those young kids a setting that turned out to be the last day of their lives because some 18-year-old was able to legally purchase two assault rifles and, according to the latest reports, 375 rounds of ammunition. You know, I am willing to be patient, always have, except for sports, um, been patient to wait for the facts in situations like this. Because for all I know, you know, a lot of these common sense gun laws or even potentially very strict gun laws wouldn't have stopped something like this. I don't know if that's true or not, Um, but it just doesn't make any sense to me that an 18-year-old should celebrate his birthday by having access to purchasing two assault rifles and 375 rounds of ammunition. Uh, That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I read this, um, I read some of the uh, memories 
um, written by some family members about their lost young children yesterday or grandchildren. This was one of them um, that struck me. It included a picture of eight-year-old Uzziah Garcia. He was killed in that classroom yesterday. His grandfather, Manny Renfro, wrote, the sweetest little boy that I've ever known. I'm not just saying that because he was my grandkid. Uh, He recalled uh, Uzziah visiting him during spring break and described how they had enjoyed playing football together. And the grandfather said, we started throwing the football together and I was teaching him pass patterns. Such a fast little boy and he could catch a ball so good. There were certain plays that I would call that he would remember and he would do it exactly like we practiced. Uh, Closed closed quote. Um, You know, there were so many of those stories uh, that you read. That was the one that struck me. Not, I guess maybe because of the, the, the football and the sports reference, but just the idea that he had just seen him on spring break, which was just a few weeks ago, and that he was, um, you know, and you can see it in the picture and all their pictures. It's just, it's heartbreaking. I don't know what else to say. I just, I don't understand um, why uh, most normal people wouldn't say, okay, there are guns per our Second Amendment that makes sense for things like hunting, um, things like being able to protect yourself and your family in your own home, uh, obviously for our police and our military. Um, but there are guns that should not be accessible by normal citizens because for the most part, and again, I don't know anything about guns, but reading and being in a setting multiple times over the years with friends and family members who are you know, gun owners, um, even the, the hardest core of people that I know that are, you know, vehement about second amendment will say, no, these kinds of guns are just for killing people. And I know that's oversimplifying it, but these kinds of things, I don't know why they're available, uh, to normal citizens. I don't, but whatever, let's move on. Uh, I, um, I saw this thing on ESPN this morning uh, about Terry McLaurin and about projected uh, contracts uh, for a lot of the players that right now are looking for new deals. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus wrote the story. I think Brad is more for PFF, kind of a cap guy. I think I've had him on the show before. Um, and I think that's my memory of, of Brad uh, and his expertise, his specific expertise. But he talked about uh, the Terry McLaurin situation, and he wrote, while the commander's decision to trade for co- quarterback Carson Wentz was, was met with a lot of criticism, he will undoubtedly be the best quarterback McLaurin has worked with so far in the NFL. And that's worrisome for opposing teams, considering how productive McLaurin has been to start his career. Since 2019, McLaurin has garnered 139 targets, where the pass was deemed inaccurate per PFF charting, the third most in the NFL over that span and his 22 explosive receptions of 15 plus yards on such passes rank second. These are actually numbers that I didn't and haven't seen before. 139 targets where the pass was deemed inaccurate per PFF's charting. Uh, The third most 
over the NFL. I mean, look at the quarterbacks he has been playing with. Not very accurate. Um, and not always on time, as we saw last year in particular. And 22 explosive receptions of 15-plus yards on such passes ranks second in the NFL. His 17 contested catches on such passes rank number one in the NFL. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen these numbers. I have not seen these numbers. Despite his surroundings, McLaurin's 86.6 receiving grade since 2019 ranks 13th among all wide receivers over that span, trails only A.J. Brown from the 2019 draft class. And then um, Spielberger writes about off the field, McLaurin is heralded as one of the leaders, et cetera, et cetera. And he writes, Washington should commit big-time money to a player who may only get better with stronger play at the quarterback position. And his contract projection is five years, $115 million. That would put him at $23 million per year with 53 of it. So less than half of it, but 53 million of it totally guaranteed over a five-year deal. Now the AAV of twenty uh, of twenty three million per year would pit, put him, according to Spot Rack, it would put him. And if you missed the conversation with J.I. Halsell yesterday, J.I. projected somewhere in the twenty four to twenty six range when all was said and done for uh, Terry McLaurin. But twenty three million would put him behind five receivers on the AAV list: Diggs, Brown, Hopkins, Adams, and Hill. Would put him in front of D.J. Moore. But, of course, there are more receivers coming up here shortly. Uh, But um, I still believe that they will get a deal done. I think they'll get a deal done before training camp. I think they'll get a deal done that's probably similar to what Spielberger's uh, projecting. The spot rack number uh, came out to be like just over $24 million as an average annual. A four-year, I think it was $96 million deal. Um, but McLaurin's going to get a big offer, and then it's just going to come down to whether or not they can hammer it out, hopefully in time for training camp. And if not, then we can have the conversation about why not. You know, is it that Terry McLaurin wants to get to, wants to get to free agency? Well, you know, he's not practicing right now in the voluntary stuff. We'll see if he shows up for the mandatory stuff without a contract. We'll see if he shows up for training camp. Uh, which would be mandatory without a contract. Um, He could demand a trade, but as J.I. told us yesterday, it gets very um, harsh in terms of the penalties for holding out. He's under contract, not for a lot of money, $2.7-plus million for next year. They've got to get Terry McLaurin signed. He's the kind of guy you want to be on this team when this team, if this team, is you know competitive in terms of uh, you know, a playoff team and maybe, you know, maybe a contender. Um, there were a couple of other things that I wanted to uh, mention. So there was a story on CBSSports.com ranking the divisions for 2022 in order of best to worst. Now, the NFC East has pretty much brought up the rear in any of these rankings of divisions for a while now. Um Let's see where they landed on the CBSSports.com NFL divisional power rankings list. All right. AFC West, I think we all understand, 
That's the best division in football. They've got, listen, I mean, we know the quarterbacks. Mahomes, Herbert, Russell Wilson, Derek Carr. The Chiefs, the Broncos, the, the Raiders, and the Chargers. The Chargers really look loaded and ready to make a big move this year. Um, and the Chiefs may be taking a step back. Obviously, Denver's a lot better. And the Raiders added Devontae Adams to play with his college quarterback, Derek Carr. The AFC West clearly is the best division in football. Number two on this list was the AFC North with Cincinnati and Cleveland and Baltimore. A lot of people like Cleveland this year with Watson in the lineup. And I've got something on that as well here uh, in a moment. Um, a lot of people like the you know, the Browns to have a chance now with a real quarterback. Um, you've got Baltimore. They need to be healthy. Uh, you've got the defending AFC champions in the Bengals. And then you've got the Steelers, you know, with a brand-new quarterback in Kenny Pickett. Uh, we'll see how that works. Is that division better than the NFC West with the Rams, the Super Bowl champion Rams? with two playoff teams, including the NFC runner-ups, uh, the 49ers. There was a story today, Kyle Shanahan saying still the 49ers' plan is to trade Jimmy Garoppolo when he recovers from his injury. I'll believe that now when I see it uh, because if you've been paying any attention to the Trey Lance discussion among the 49ers reporters, uh, it doesn't seem like there's a whole hell of a lot of confidence in Trey Lance right now. Uh, but you've got, you know, Seattle in that division is the team that really you would expect to take a major step back, losing, you know, its quarterback of the last 10 years, Russell Wilson. Uh, the NFC West is ranked as the third best division. The AFC East is behind them. You know, you've got the Bills, you've got the Patriots, both playoff teams last year. You've got Miami, they were a near playoff team last year. They've added Tariq Hill. Uh, you know, to go with uh, Jalen Waddell, and we'll see whether or not Tua, you know, if Tua is the right guy um, for uh, for the Dolphins. Uh, they're certainly going to roll out. Uh, Mike McDaniel is um, Tua this year to see if it works. Teddy Bridgewater was signed to potentially be that backup, but, you know, Hill and Waddell, they added Cedric Wilson from the Cowboys. They've got Gusecki at tight end. Um, they added uh, Chase Edmonds from Arizona. They've, they added, I think, uh, uh, Raheem Mostert and Sony Michelle. You know, they've added a lot of talent, and they were already good defensively. Um, Mike McDaniel in his first year, it's, you know, it's, it's similar to a couple of situations, you know, like in Philadelphia, not that there's a first-year head coach, but there's a second-year head coach. They look pretty good, but there's the question about the quarterback. And I think that's what you can say about Miami. So anyway, the Dolphins come in on that. I'm sorry, the AFC East um, with the Bills as a Super Bowl favorite. The Patriots and the Dolphins come in as the fourth best division. Uh, is the NFC East coming up anytime soon? The NFC South is fifth with the Bucks and Saints being considered um, as playoff contenders uh, in the upcoming uh, season. Um, you know, this should be a step back year for Atlanta with Marcus Mariota and Carolina still doesn't really have a quarterback uh, solution other than Sam Darnold. By the way, somebody tweeted me the other day, 
or no, somebody, um, was it Brendan who shared it with me? Somebody shared with me that somebody said, why would you listen to Sheehan about anything? He's the one that desperately wanted Sam Darnold to be the quarterback last year. No, I didn't. I didn't desperately want Sam Darnold. I just said in the, the, the guy that I desperately wanted last year, assuming that we couldn't get you know any of the biggies, um, including Deshaun Watson, and I'm talking about 2021, was Matt Stafford. That's who I desperately wanted. Um, but when that fell by the wayside, we started talking about everybody. And I said, yeah, I'd take a flyer on Darnold for, you know, a third rounder or a second and a third. And that would have been pricey for him. But I liked Darnold coming out of USC. I won't you know, that's true. I like Darnold a lot coming out of USC. Um, and I'm still not completely out on Darnold. Obviously, they weren't very good last year, but I wasn't desperate to trade for Darnold. Matt Stafford was the dude that I really liked. Um, you know, after, you know, the Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers conversation, I'm talking about going into last year, uh, was over. Um, the, the NFC North is the sixth uh, ranked division on CBSSports.com's NFL divisional power rankings. And... They're expecting the Packers to take a step back. I mean, Aaron Rodgers uh, Rodgers certainly doesn't have the same weaponry. He doesn't have, you know, arguably the best receiver in the game. The Vikings with Kevin O'Connell, will that be, you know, slow to take? Maybe. Um, But they are loaded offensively, Uh, you know, especially getting Irv Smith back at tight end uh, to go with Thielen, to go with Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook. Um, they've had offensive line issues there. They've got to get those fixed. But an offensive head coach in Minnesota, I think, is going to benefit them. They have a chance to be very good offensively. Um, but, you know, you never know. Uh, I mean, they, their offensive line was a problem and has been uh, a problem in Minnesota. I think Detroit and CBS Sports uh, writes that, you know, the Lions are still years from competing, but heading in the right direction. And then you've got the Bears with Justin Fields. The AFC South is the seventh rated division. So that puts the NFC East, if you knew already that there are eight NFL divisions, uh, in the last place slot once again. I don't know. Is the AFC South actually better than the, than the NFC East? The AFC South has Tennessee, Indy, Jacksonville, and Houston. And I don't know. I think, you know, maybe their best team, if it's Tennessee, if you believe it's Tennessee, is better than any of the four teams in the NFC East, maybe. Is Indy better than any of the teams in the NFC East? I think Matt Ryan's going to really provide a boost for them. I do. Um, But I think I'd take the NFC East as a whole over the AFC South. Uh, The NFC East comes in eighth in these NFL divisional power rankings. And um, it's just written that it's still the NFC least for me. None of these teams have displayed a recent pedigree to be anything other than horrible to mediocre at best with any consistency in recent years. There's not a legitimate Super Bowl threat in the bunch, although I think the Eagles are going to be better than some think. Um, the Cowboys are in decline. The, ca- the commanders always stink and the giants are mired in a rebuild. No, I think the NFC East right now has three teams, um, two teams in Dallas and Philadelphia 
that are pretty well-rounded. Philly's big question mark would be at quarterback. Uh, Dallas's big question mark would be, you know, at head coach maybe. Um, but also, you know, did they lose too much offensively? Um, and I think Washington, as I've discussed, you know, several times now over the last couple of weeks, there's a lot to be excited about when it comes to their offense. And I think their defense is a massive question mark entering uh, the season. The Giants are in the you know in the midst of a rebuild. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens at quarterback in New York. I think one of the reasons that Brian Dable brought in uh, Tyrod Taylor is that he doesn't believe in Daniel Jones. They didn't pick up the fifth year option. Um, you know they this is going to be. Uh, a, a tough year if they've got to go with either one of them and not confident in either one of them. Uh, but if one of them emerges as competent, they do have Saquon Barkley and Kenny Galladay and Sterling Shepard and Kadarius Toney, even though they tried to trade him, Darius Slayton, you know, a, a, a very much improved over the last couple of years, courtesy of the draft uh, offensive line. And then they've got defensive talent with a new defensive coordinator in Martindale from Baltimore. Uh, but it's a new, you know, coaching situation, and you sometimes have to give that some time. So there is, you know, an opinion about the divisions. I, I, to be honest, I can't see the NFC East being that much higher than seventh of all of the divisions in the NFL. I mean, I definitely would rank the AFC West, the AFC North, uh, the NFC West, and the NFC North ahead of the AFC East. Uh, I think you have to you know, put the NFC South just because they've got a Super Bowl contender and a team that should be a playoff contender in the division. Right now, you can't, you know, if you're being objective, you say the NFC East division winner will be the lone NFC playoff team. And in the AFC, you could say that Tennessee and Indy are going to be playoff contenders. But I don't know. I look at the NFC East Objectively, and I would say Dallas and Philadelphia are both going to be playoff contenders. Remember last year there was a feeling that there would only be one, and there were two um, in the postseason. Uh, but the NFC, um, the AFC South is pretty comparable to the NFC uh, East. Uh, by the way, CBSSports.com also wrote uh, a story about the NFC East. It was burning questions for the upcoming 2022 season. The Cowboys' burning question uh, was, is this Mike McCarthy's swan song? Dallas better get to the postseason and win at least a game or Mike McCarthy is in trouble. For the Eagles, is Jalen Hurts truly their quarterback of the future? I think he's going to prove to be the quarterback of the future. If he isn't, they're going to have a chance with, you know, multiple first-rounders next year. The Giants' big question of 2022, can a shiny new regime revitalize Big Blue? Um, Wouldn't surprise me if the Giants build towards something positive this year, but certainly not a playoff uh, contender. And the question for Washington, the last dance for Carson Wentz. And essentially it is... This is the last opportunity for Carson Wentz to be at least perceived as a full-time starter. Um, So you have that. Uh, There was one other thing that I was reading this morning, this too from CBSSports.com. Just reading lots of NFL stuff this time of year. This was a story that ranked 
the 17 new combos of head coach and starting quarterback. Of the 32 NFL teams, more than half of them, 17, have a new head coach quarterback combo. And Cody Benjamin from CBSSports.com ranked the combos heading in to this year. He wrote, um, we're ranking all 17 of the new head coach quarterback combos. Uh, a, a few clarifiers, he writes, a team just needs one new starting quarterback or a head coach to qualify. Um, we're ranking the duos, not the respective teams. It's just the combination of quarterback and head coach. And he said, this is a 2022 ranking, a 2022 ranking more than like a draft. This is more about what they uh, expect this year, not what they expect like way down the road. So the number one new head coach QB combo, Brady and Bowles. Number two, Russell Wilson, Nathaniel Hackett in Denver. Number three, Deshaun Watson and Kevin Stefanski in Cleveland. I don't have a problem so far with any of those pairings being ranked in front of Wentz Rivera because Wentz Rivera is on this list somewhere. Four is Matt Ryan and Frank Reich. And I have been reading um, about Matt Ryan so far in OTA days and about how um, he has really taken over that locker room. That's coming out of Indy um, from multiple places, and it's almost like they're trying to make the point that you know they have a real leader in the locker room. And who knows, for those of you that have been, this is an Ursay thing about, about uh, Wentz and Indy, which is, I think, pretty naive. Um, but if you really believe that, this could be you know coming from those that are trying to make Ursay uh, look good. Um, but Matt Ryan, Frank Reich as a new quarterback head coach combo rank fourth. Kirk Cousins, Kevin O'Connell come in fifth. Derek Carr, Josh McDaniels come in sixth. So far, I don't have any, any issue with any of those six being rated ahead of the Rivera Wentz combo. Next on the list, though, here we get into an area in which, you know, I think you could have seen, and they're not there, but you could have seen a combo of Rivera and Wentz come in seventh place. Because in seventh place, Lawrence and Doug Peterson, the first round opponent, uh, the first uh, week opponent for Washington, then Pickett and Tomlin in Pittsburgh. How does anybody know anything? about Kenny Pickett at this point. Then Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco is number nine. Number 10 is Tua and Mike McDaniel. I would have had them higher. Number 11 is Justin Fields and Matt and Matt Eber, Eberflus, the new head coach in Chicago. And then 12th on the list of the 17 new head coach QB combos is Carson Wentz, Ron Rivera. Uh, what's written here by Cody Benjamin, Wentz is essentially on his last shot to lock down a permanent QB1 gig. The concern is he's just too volatile. His highs are genuine, genuinely admirable, but his lows can sink in offense. Rivera certainly helps keep the team grounded with his proven leadership, but he's not, not exactly a model of recent success either. It's been a half decade since he won more than seven games. 
They came, they, they came in 12th. I think you could have made the case that they should have been higher. Jameis Winston, Dennis Allen in, in New Orleans, 13th. Daniel Jones, Brian Dable, 14th in, in New York. Geno Smith, Pete Carroll. Actually, I think that's Drew Locke and Pete Carroll at 15. Marcus Mariota, Arthur Smith in Atlanta, 16. And then Davis Mills. And I almost forgot about this, that Lovey, Mill, uh, Lovey Smith is the new head coach uh, in Houston. So there you go. So May 25th, uh, Washington, NFC East, and more prediction um, stories, which uh, more likely than not will look terrible by the time we get to, say, October or November. Uh, One more thing before we get to J.P. Finley. Uh, Andrew Brandt, who we've had on the show several times, writes for SI. He wrote uh, a story yesterday or last night about the Deshaun Watson discipline uh, nearing an end, meaning the NFL is getting close to uh, coming up with with a a punishment for Deshaun Watson. We had heard uh, or read uh, maybe last week that there was a possibility that this may not happen until all these civil cases were settled, which means your which would have meant 2023 would have been the first opportunity for the NFL uh, to discipline uh, Watson. But Brandt wrote that NFL investigators spent time last week with Watson, indicating that the end of the 14-month investigation into his conduct is near. And Brandt wrote, in my experiences with the NFL personal conduct cases, the last interview from the league has almost always been with the accused. After interviewing Watson, Lisa Friel, who conducts these investigations for the NFL, will report her findings. A disciplinary officer, a former judge jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA, will issue discipline with any appeal to be heard by, you guessed it, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Under the new CBA, he is no longer judge, jury, and executioner. Now he is more simply the appellate judge. I forgot about that, that he's no longer the guy that's solely responsible for doling out punishment on players. Uh, This is now done with a disciplinary officer, which is a former judge uh, jointly appointed by the NFL and the NFLPA. They'll issue the discipline. And then if the player doesn't like it, they appeal it. And then it's Goodell, who is the appellate judge. Andrew Brandt wrote, as I have said repeatedly in this space, I expect a long suspension for Watson. There is NFL precedent under this commissioner of six-game suspensions for both Ben Roethlisberger and Zeke Elliott for sexual misconduct with one woman each. I would expect a six-game suspension to be the minimum given to Watson. And remember, there were no criminal charges against uh, Elliott uh, in particular. And I don't think that there were criminal charges, and if they were, they were dropped against Roethlisberger. I forget specifically uh, how that went. But um, Andrew Brandt expecting six games to be the minimum for Watson and for that to be coming um, to a conclusion here soon. All right, J.P. Finley next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Doesn't cost you a thing. Rate us and review us, especially on Apple. That's a big help. J.P. Finley, everybody knows J.P. J.P. covers the team for NBC Sports Washington. He also co-hosts a radio show on our sister station, 106.7 The Fan with Brian Mitchell, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day. Uh, You were out for OTA day number one yesterday, which is the one day that media members were allowed to attend uh, this week. Uh, Give me your top three takeaways from the first day of OTAs. Um. Number one, I mean, by far the most important thing I saw I, is Curtis Samuel. He looked good. He looked like he looked like everything Washington fans thought they were getting last year. He was uh, he was quick. He had had really good feet. He was making cuts in the way, in the rain. Um, looked looked bouncy. And afterwards, he talked about you know last year I was scared to use my speed because I just didn't know my leg would hold up and. Now he feels totally fine. And and I think, um, you know, as people kind of talk themselves into being really excited about this offense, I think Samuel's a huge part of it if it's going to really work. Um, and it, it was really good. He looked better yesterday than at any point I ever saw last year. Um, and it's a bang, but I, I, 
that to me was the most important takeaway of a day where you really shouldn't take too much away. Um, the second I would say is just seeing Carson Wentz out there and, um, you know, when, yeah, when you have like really good tickets to a baseball game and you hear kind of like that pop when the pitcher throws it, and it, it hits the catcher's mitt. Like you could, you could hear the difference when Carson Wentz kind of really let one rip, um, rather than what we've seen with over the last couple of years, arm strength wise. And I think that's just going to make such a huge difference in kind of their quick passing game, both to the edges and t- tight windows over the middle. Um, but, and then number three is, is gotta be the absences. Not that Terry was expected. I mean, not just not a surprise, but fully expected, but it's still not to McLaurin out there is kind of jarring. Um, and then the chase young thing, <clears throat> It didn't shock me. I, I knew he'd been back and forth to Colorado all offseason. Um, but I was the optics, I, I kind of thought after the way Ron talked about it and Jack talked about it, that he would be there. And uh, it's optional. He has the right not to be, especially if you know he's been in communication with them about rehabbing his knee. But there were other hurt guys that were there. Logan Thomas was there. Chase Rie was there. Um, the Montez Sweat thing, I've checked in on it a little bit. It, I really have been told that it was nothing. I also saw Montez like 10 days ago at the hockey game and talked to him for a few minutes. And I, I know that he's been around throughout the off season. Um, but you know, that's three of your four best players, not at OTAs, And, and that, that is notable. Right. The hockey game in which the defensive line minus Chase Young all went together. Um, uh, yes. look a week and a half ago. Um, you know, so I I don't know. Maybe it's just I'm at this this point where it's like all that I care about is what happens on the field when the season begins. It's not that I've turned Cooley or Doc or B. Mitch, who have all, you know, over the years kind of, you know, minimized some of this stuff. Although I remember Doc saying last year, you know, um, l- you know leaders, captains, you know, don't give uh, – any reasons for, you know, employees or teammates or opponents to question them. And that was the biggest issue he had with Chase Young, that if you are a true captain, you don't give people uh, reason to question you. You know, now your performance really does matter because they'll come back to these things. By the way, these, these OTA days, which many teams have many players miss, but in this town, you know, because we turn over every rock uh, to find, you know, reasons why they continue to lose, um, we tend to, in our own bubble, obsess about this. But I, I wanted to get into this a little bit more because they did set an expectation level that Chase Young would be there, you know, at the end of March. And he's not. Yep. And he's working, he's rehabbing in Colorado, and I've been told that that wasn't necessarily the preferred rehab route for the team, even though they don't believe it's going poorly, they think it's going fine, but their their preference would have been to do it differently than do it out in Colorado, Colorado with the guy that I think did, um, or the group that did Von Miller's um, rehab. And it just seems to me that what's become clear, and I want to know if you agree with this, that Chase just kind of has his own way of getting himself ready. It's not the way the team would agree with, but ultimately, he better perform on the field. Yeah, I think that's totally accurate. And I don't think 
it, it's tough because a lot of people are like ready to draw these conclusions that like, you know, Chase isn't listening and he's a jerk. I don't think that's the case either. But it, this pro football coaches and, and front office people want to control every little thing. So of course their preference is you to do their rehab rehab in the building where they're around and know exactly what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, their preference certainly would be for him to be in Ashburn doing all this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, maybe if you're Chase, you wonder, uh, when did they hire Al Bellamy? They didn't even have a head trainer. Like, who's right. going to set all his stuff? Yes. You know what I mean? Good like, point. Yeah. There's, there's got to be a, a little bit of give and take on this. But I, I do think it's funny, man, because if you look back at last year, the expectations were high. This, you know, this defense could be all world, blah, blah, blah. And everybody was cool with those expectations until they came out and were terrible in the first half of the season and opened two and six. And then there was this talk of, oh, you know, the expectations were too high and if people could have just let us settle in. And now they've kind of done it again, talking about we expect full attendance and, you know, this is really important to us. Now they don't have full attendance. Now they got to walk that back. I mean, we kind of all said this throughout. Sometimes I think the staff might be better off saying less. Or I think it sounds toothless if you're going to say, yeah, we expect them here, and then they're not. Be like, oh, well, it's okay. Like, kind of make up your mind. I, and, and if people want to be – like, I think fans will get frustrated with the coaching staff or with the players. I'm not sure any of that is wrong. But you got to keep in mind this is all optional, and it's it's late May, and they don't play football till September. It's all optional, yes. But the team captain, being the only guy last year not to post for one day, didn't make them happy. And so, mo- moving forward, understandably, yeah, no, I, yeah, of course. Um, so it's very possible he's going to show up here today or tomorrow or for next week's set and all will be fine. And Ron will be able to say, well, I didn't tell you I was expecting him for every single day. I just, you know, expected him for OTAs. But to your point on things like this, they've got to be a little bit careful in part because previous regimes overpromised and underdelivered consistently. And really it's better not to set any expectations at all. And they set the expectations that they were going to have everybody here and they were going to have Chase Young here. And he wasn't here on day one. And he's doing his own thing. Um, the only other question I have about uh, – two questions on Chase. Do you have any sense as to whether or not his teammates are frustrated with, you know, perhaps another set of off-season voluntary activities where they're all there and he's not? That's number one. What, what do you what, do? You have any sense as to what what you know? John Allen and Deron Payne. We'll get to Deron in a minute, and Montez Sweat and the others think uh, about this. I really don't think they are upset about it. I, I maybe on some level there, there's like this theory. You know, I, I think maybe Chase kind of does his own thing, like with, with some regularity, and isn't necessarily like one of the guys, but that room has changed significantly this offseason anyway. I mean, John Allen and Matt Ioannidis were kind of their own, like, like 
duo, and then there was the rest of these guys, and Matt's gone now, and like Settle and David Botta were kind of like the class clowns, and now Settle's gone. Like it's just, I think it's like, I think it's probably different than it's been, but I think Chase is just kind of a guy that does his own thing and keeps a pretty tight circle, and I don't think anybody begrudges him for it. If he doesn't post for any of these, do you think that the coaching staff will be pissed once again? Even though he's coming That's off a serious want- injury. The only thing I wanted to say, like, I agree with you, they should just say less and promise less. But, like, there is an alternative to if you're going to set the expectations, hard asses about it. And just say, like, yeah, we're disappointed he's not here. And let that become a thing and see what happens. Because, Last year, clearly, I think everybody involved, including Chase, had to be disappointed with his play through eight games before the injury. I mean, I looked at the stats yesterday. You realize in eight games he had four quarterback hits. Yeah, and and I don't think I don't think sacks can always be the end all. But quarterback hits is just applying pressure and getting there, and you don't even have to bring him down. I mean, that's there's nobody that could be happy about that, and yet all. Right before the injury, we started to get some fairly veiled shots and some sources, but like, there seems to be an extreme reluctance to perhaps take him to task on anything. And at some point, maybe that's necessary. I don't, I don't know that this is the point, but like, if they said we want full attendance and then they don't get it, like, there's, there's nothing preventing them from being like, yeah, we're disappointed. Yeah, I mean, you know, they 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 can't out, outwardly say uh, we need him here because it's voluntary right. and they can't do that. Uh, by the way, I think you made a really good point, and I didn't mention this yesterday um, on the podcast, um, but I, I I talked about it today on the radio show. You know, their head trainer Ryan Vermillion was carted off by DEA agents last October. Curtis Samuel had, you know, a a a very interesting journey through this injury last year you know it's not like Washington's got this reputation of being the place to rehab a serious injury not yet anyway so him doing this in Colorado even if that wasn't their preference um, you know he's looking out for himself in this particular situation you know there's also this thing and I remember talking about it last year when you have a talent like Chase Young um you know, and I'm not saying he's LT, but I'm using I'm going to use LT as the example of, you know, many times Parcells and even Belichick said he didn't play the scheme, he didn't do what we told him to do, and finally we realized uh, he, him doing what he wanted to do worked out better. You know, and I don't know if that's Chase Young's ability or talent, but I remember last year when we were hearing adhering to the scheme and doing your job and maturity. I was just like, maybe you've got a player who's not a do-your-job player. Now, if that's the case and they want that player to be that, it's not going to work very well for them moving forward. And they shouldn't have drafted him. I agree with that. Um, I think there was I think there was some stubbornness on both sides last season, especially yeah. early on if you go back and, and like look at that Bills game yeah. where he just – he just rushed outside upfield every time, and Josh Allen just calmly stepped up in the pocket to where he was vacant and picked the team apart. But at the same time, their refusal – so, like, I, I put that on Chase, and, and I, I don't know who the person that helped him work on developing that stutter step was, but I don't know why you would take – like, 
his athleticism and explosion off the line is such a weapon. I don't know why you would want to dumb that down, but um, I, I don't know why you would want to like diminish that with the stutter step move. But I, I also don't understand what the hell took him till Chase's injury to start blitzing a little. Like, right. Go look at their third down. Go look at their third down numbers last year. They ranked thirty first in the league. They gave up almost fifty percent of third down conversions. And we can talk about the secondary all we want, but like the biggest key on third down defense is pressuring the they weren't doing it. Create the pressure. Like get outside of your box and do something else because you're getting torched. And I recognize maybe they thought they should be getting more from the front four that they just weren't getting. But it's still on the staff to try to come up with new I think I think that Chase Young Chase Young specific you know, like fumbled second season or, or whatever you want to say. Like, he wasn't good. He, he just, the numbers, the film, all that would tell you he, he wasn't performing to his own ability. Like, to me, that's on chase. But the defensive line as a whole and, and some of the some of the troubles they had as a group, like, that falls on coaching to me. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I, I think the next uh, – look, I, this stuff is um... – these days are really for, uh, I think, you know, a smaller portion of those that are really interested in the team. But I do think that the team's reaction to it will be interesting if he doesn't post. But let's move on to Deron Payne. What are you hearing about Deron Payne and him at least walking off for a little while, even though, you know, he came back? But, you know, is this, is this a situation or not? So my last thing on Chase, I think the thing fans should be paying the most attention to is the pup list. Is he going to open camp on the pup list? Like, what matters is his availability for week one, and that should be the concern. And I'm not entirely convinced he's going to be available for week one. That that's my far bigger concern than OTA. Whoa, okay. As for Duran, hold on, hold on, because that's the first I've heard of that. That Chase, you know, I'm not saying he won't be. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying he won't. Be. But you think there's but a like, chance go back he won't and listen be? Listen to what they said. He got injured in November. That yeah. can often be a year-long injury. Right. I, I think I think the pup list to open camp is our first real hint at what's going to happen. So that's the the, the first date I really care about with Chase is July twenty seventh or whatever it is. Here, here's what if if you're rooting and, and, and maybe I mean veteran mini camps mandatory. That's mid June, but they they might move that up like they did last year. So that's another little real window to look at. Here's another thing that if if he's not ready, if he's on the pup list, if he's not ready for just let's say the early portion of the season, um, I wasn't considering that. So that's that's an interesting piece of information. And I know you didn't say that he's not going to be, but there's a chance that he might not be. Then you get into whether or not the rehab, which wasn't their preferred rehab, was the reason for it, and that could really create. Uh, a situation. I hope he's ready to go. I love his talent, and I'd like to see the continuation of what we saw his rookie year. Um, I hope they coach him to get that out of him, and I hope he's receptive to whatever you know uh, makes sense for the team as well. By the way, on totally on the pup list conversation, do you expect Logan Thomas will be on that? And what do you, what is your guess on Logan Thomas for Week One in September? I think you got to think he's going to be on the pub. He, I mean, he blew out his knee in, in December. December. Yeah, and so Chase, Chase by late July will be 
Chase for week one would be 10 months removed from blowing out his knee. Logan would be nine months removed. And I, I know people can point to Adrian Peterson and that some of these guys are able to return really fast. RG3. But not everybody does. <laughs> yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> so, I mean, I, I just – I think uh, I think I think we got to set perhaps reasonable expectations. So, yeah, I mean, if I had to guess what the pup list looks like, and I almost don't want to say it because I don't want it to, like, end up on Instagram or something, but I think you've got to consider – to, to open training camp that Chase and Logan are on there. They blew out their knee in November and December. Yeah, I mean, the headline of this podcast is going to be, trust me, it's going <laughs> to be Chase Young starts training camp on Pup List, uh, J.P. Finley. Um, all right, but, Which nobody is saying. We're saying it's possible. It doesn't matter. Deron Payne, <laughs> is it a situation or not? So my read on yesterday was I, I didn't get the vibe anybody was angry. And I, I checked in on it afterwards. If he's mad about something, I know that he went in the building. I know that he went and lifted weights with his teammates and then went to meetings. So that to me – now, is there a situation where he's not going to do on-field work while he, he's in a contract situation? And it's optional. I can see that for sure. Like I, I won't be stunned if he's not getting in team drills. Um, like you know, it's funny. Like the fan base seems totally supportive of Terry McLaurin waiting to get his contracts sorted out before he's back. Right? Deron's in the same boat. Like he's going into the last year of a deal. John Allen skipped a week of OTAs. Same situation. So I, I, I think it's normal if Deron is. Not thrilled about his contract situation. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that. I also think, let's be real about it. Like, I, I know we're all da- dancing around like, oh, will they make an offer? Like, the writing's on the wall here, man. Like, they paid Allen. You're probably not going to pay two interior defensive linemen north of, say, Duran doesn't command John money, but he's still getting 15 mil a year or something. And they just drafted the kid Mathis. Like, I, I don't think we need sourcing and you know, deep reporting on some of this. And, and I think Ron's going to say like, Oh, you know, no doors closed. We're still working to figure everything out. But like, are we, does anybody really think that? Like, just, just kind of use some logic here. So I, I get why Duran's not thrilled about it. Um, but I, I think the best thing he can do is play well, get a fat boy contract next year. And, and I think that's kind of the game plan, but I didn't see anybody getting angry yesterday. So you don't think um, that he's going to demand a trade or the, or the team's going to decide to trade him? I I mean, if, if you're going to demand a trade or decide a trade, the time to do that was before the draft. Yeah, I understand. But, you know, you could have injuries. You could have an opportunity before the trade de- deadline during the season if the, t- if the season isn't going well. I think you and I both agree, because I think we've talked about this, I think we have, that, you know, this is kind of not that it's an all-in year, but this is a year where they need to be competitive. They are expecting to be competitive. They're expecting to contend. And without Deron Payne, they're really thin. You know, now now you've got Phil oh, Mathis in the starting lineup as a rookie on day one, a 24-year-old rookie, but a rookie. So I think Deron Payne's going to play for them, but I'm wondering if there's a possibility Deron says, 
you know, I mean, see, the big difference between he and Terry McLaurin is he's making $8.5 million in his fifth-year option. Terry's going to earn $2.7 million. Money, right? Yeah. And, Terry's, and, and this is yeah. the first year Terry's making, you know, over a million dollars. Exactly. They're totally different. I, I guess my thing with Duran, could at some point they, the season bottoms out and they want to trade him? Sure. Could at some point he say, get me out of here, I want a new deal? I guess. I don't I don't see it happening, but it, it could happen. But Deron Payne for this team has way more value than a fourth or fifth rounder. And I think that's why he wasn't traded at the draft. I remember we had uh, Garofolo on the radio uh, the day before the draft, and he said, you know, yeah, Payne's a guy that they'll, they'll certainly take calls on. They'll maybe even make calls on. But you can get for him – versus his value on the field this year. And that's like getting into a possible compensatory pick down the road. Like At some point, you can't always be building for the future because this staff knows they need to win this season. Yeah. Um, yeah, so your your conclusion is Deron Payne's going to play for the $8.5 million this year and then more likely than not be with somebody else in 2023. Yeah, that's how I see it. Um, what did you make of Is that how you see it? Yeah, I, I think so. I'm disappointed by that because I have felt for the last couple of years that Deron Payne had as much talent as anybody on that defensive front, not named Chase Young. And that, you know, it's been a consistency issue. It's been, you know, there have been probably some of those issues of how much does he love it? How hard does he work at it? Does that lead to the inconsistency? There have been moments and there have been games where he's been the best player on the field for them. And then there have been other games where he's been invisible. I just think that they that he's extraordinarily gifted and talented and explosive and athletic. I mean, I remember when Jack Del Rio got here in 2020, he was the one that Del Rio pointed out as being really excited to see on the field and to coach. Um, but, you know, they have the issue of all of these guys and paying all of these guys. And, you know, at this point, I think we still believe they're going to pay Chase Young and we believe they're going to have to pay Montez Sweat. In fact, that's one of those things, actually, I was thinking about the other day, JP. It's a weird thing. Like, I think they really like Montez and I think Montez really has a lot of talent. And you could do somebody like Montez early and maybe, you know, if you're convinced he he's a guy you're going to want to sign before, you know, you're going to pick up that fifth-year option of 23 and then you're going to want to keep around, that's, you know, where you start thinking ahead a little bit on somebody like him. But anyway. Um, we haven't seen them do much of that. Yeah, except for, you know, Kerrigan and Jordan Reed or whatever. But uh, but that's a different, you know, administration. That's a long time ago. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, on Deron Payne, I guess I'm just um, – I'm disappointed that we didn't see a guy turn into what I thought he was, which was a top-five talent at that position, potentially. I tend to agree with you. Um until last year, I made the argument that I thought he was better than John. I uh, I think he also gets asked to do a lot of different stuff. And last year, there were plenty of times where he was taking on doubles and that freed up John. Um, I think I honestly think for the defensive front style they want, 
they inherited players that weren't necessarily good fits. I think that's certainly why you see Matt Ioannidis gone, maybe even Tim Settle because he's more of an interior pass rusher. I think that's why they drafted this kid Matthews. They want a space eater, yep. and they want somebody that lets Holcomb and Davis run around. And I think Payne could have done that, but I think he's too talented to be a space eater. And I think he probably knew that, and that maybe led to some of the inconsistencies and frustrations. So. All right, you're you're getting ready for a radio show, but I got a couple of more real quickly. First of all, just your reaction to the Del Rio reference to the guys that didn't post for Phase 2 last year, the secondary guys, and that led to a, a rough year on pass defense. And then Ron doubled down on that yesterday saying, you know, that group of veterans that missed, you know, some of that uh, offseason activity was a sore point. Um, and yesterday they were really excited. You could hear their communication. Just this interesting take on why they were so bad uh, as a pass defense last year, attributing it to off-season phase two activities. What's your reaction to this? Dude, it's... I hear spin. I hear nothing but spin, honestly. And maybe that's overly harsh. Why are they doing it? I I, I don't know. I Dude, when, go back and look. When did they sign Bobby McCain? When um, did they even sign him? Yeah, it was after it was Phase 2, wasn't it? Right. So, like, he ended up starting every game for you. Is that part of the problem? That's when you signed him. What do you want him to do? And then you also had, I believe, a ton of that stuff was COVID-driven because you had guys that were or were not getting vaxxed so they could or could not come in. Well, Landon Collins was hurt. Right, like I, I just, dude, you, you're telling me that workouts in April and May are the reason nobody could jump on a hail mary from New Orleans in week five? Because <laughs> I have a real hard time yeah. believing that. Nobody jumped in the end zone on Jim on Jameis Winston's throw. You know, the other part of that is that they're 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 getting themselves in trouble here a little bit because if the pass rush sucks again next year, they're going to have to call out Chase Young for not. Being at OTAs, although he's hurt, uh, obviously, but they, you know, they didn't have a well, pass, pass rush, rush last, last year, year, and they didn't call <laughs> right. him, they didn't call him out for it. I don't know; it's weird. Um, last, it thing. reminds me of, yeah. um, you know, the I, I think it was a Jerry Tarkanian quote. I don't remember who it was, but there's that old like NCAA quote about Kentucky gets in trouble, so they suspend Ball State, right? Like, yeah, Cleveland like, like, State. Yeah, you know where, yeah, you know where you need more production and. It, the secondary wasn't good enough either, but I think that all goes hand in hand. Last question for J.P. Finley, a personal question. In all seriousness, let's just say in 2028 a new stadium were to open up in Woodbridge and that you've got like a different role altogether. You know, you're a media television star at ESPN. Um, but you're still living in the market and you're doing NFL stuff, but you're available Sundays to go to games. Would you go to a game in Woodbridge if you didn't have to? Uh, you're far too kind with the description, but I um, I don't know, man. It, it, it's going to be – I think we got to be realistic that there's going to be traffic problems wherever because our area has bad traffic and an NFL game creates traffic. But that area is really, really tough. I mean, dude, like it impacts me wanting to go to the beach with my family just to drive from here to Fredericksburg. Like it, it impacts a lot of decisions I make, regardless of just driving to a football game. Um, 
I wouldn't rule it out. Like I, I've, you know, I've driven the, I, I drive to Baltimore to go see Orioles games and whatever. I, I don't want to say no because I think if in 2026 they draft the next Joe Burrow and all of a sudden they're winning 14 games a year, I, I think I'd be way more uh, convinced. It's a tall order, though. I mean, you and I live pretty close to one another. It's, it's, I think in a lot of ways, one, I think they're just trying to get Virginia and Maryland to start bidding against each other. I've been told that pretty clearly. But two, I think they also perhaps see kind of the evolution of their fan base. And whether it's capitulating on on north of the Potomac River, people people say it's Maryland. Maryland and D.C., dude. Like, you got to put those two together. It, it's It's really locking in that your fan base is Virginia and it's probably like Fairfax down to Roanoke to Norfolk or whatever. Yeah, I don't I, – I shouldn't have even asked you that question. I should have asked you a better question, which would be, would you have gone to a game last year if you didn't have to? Um, because that's really more the issue. The, the bottom line is if the product is what it is in 2027, 2028, it doesn't matter what they build. Um, and, and, and the location will matter, um, but you know what, what they're offering in terms of a team will probably matter as well, although Jason Wright's told me many times they're trying to build a business that is – Losing resilient, and there are examples of that working in other markets. Whatever. Um, all right. I think it could, like, I think you could, like, whatever fans that currently drive from Pennsylvania or, you know, Howard County or the Eastern Shore, like, whatever fans you may lose from there because it becomes too far, I think you could also gain from Newport News and Roanoke and Charlottesville. Like, I think that could be a wash. I think the bigger concern they have to really ask themselves, and I don't know that they want to, is like, how much of this fan erosion is is just permanent? Like, like whatever was this, if you get a new a nice new stadium with with bars and restaurants and a hotel next to it, like I, I don't know that I don't know that whatever was at one hundred we'll get back to 100. Like you might only have 85 of that left. Yeah. I don't even know if it's that high. I think what it is though. And I think this is why, you know, and I agree with you. I think they're using it to, you know, push Maryland. Um, and I still think there's a pretty good chance it end up, it could end up in Maryland, but you know, I think they believe that perhaps a younger fan that hasn't committed yet to an NFL team, um, exists more in Virginia than it does in other areas. And that's one of the reasons that they would be interested in a Prince William County because in many ways with this new brand and everything else, they have to build a fan base from almost scratch again. It's not that there isn't, you know, untapped potential from people that used to be fans because there is. But y- you're right. There is a a percentage. I think it's higher than you think of of people that, you know, just are done. Um, but who knows uh, how we'll feel, uh, you know. Yeah, and if, if they now. ever get good, it could change everything. It could. You, 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 if Carson Wentz ends up as, you know, 2017 Carson Wentz and this whole thing goes bananas, who knows? You know, it could change. Do you like the blue course or not? I do. I love it. Um, I, they, they didn't – the front nine used to be, like, nice but kind of just bland. Now, and six was an awesome hole. Now the front nine is awesome, but six is kind of not my favorite hole. That's my only real quarrel. 
It's hard. We're talking about the congr- oh, the J.P. Finley's home course. That would be Congressional Country <laughs> Club, the iconic Congressional Country Club. And the major change, turning the blue course, the famed blue course, into, for all intents and purposes, you know, a lynx course by cutting down every single tree. And it is hard. It's brutal. You know, you and I are it's about hard, the man. same level, even though your handicap is higher. You've done a much better job with handicap management than I have. <laughs> um, but it's hard, man. You know, it's it's hard it's hitting really driver hard. and hybrid on every hole. Yeah, I mean, it's long as hell, but I, I was kind of hitting driver and, on the – I mean, so to me, that blue course is defined by, like, 14 through 18. And all those holes are hard as hell, and all of them are long – almost all of them are long into uphill – elevated greens except 18 which is downhill into a damn lake so i I think i think uh, i think 10 and 11 are so much better i love 11 i like i love 10 i love 10 it's it's just it's such a it's like one of your signature holes yeah i love it man And, and it's it's both 10 and 11 before were like for me 10 before was i had to hit a hybrid which i have no chance of stopping on a on a shallow green. what is it what does it play from the member tees it's like 135 it's like uh you're no longer carrying the water it's now like a a little peninsula kind of reaching out towards the 18th um and, and the green is crazy um so depending where the flag is you know it, it's still really hard but I, I like being able to try to hit uh, pitching wedge or whatever it is onto a par three and then 11 I like way better because you used to just be able to if you could hit a good drive and hit a good three wood you could roll it up there now there's a creek cutting through so you have to it kind of reminds me of some tin lock holes where you have a split fairway yeah. and you have to decide when you want to go when you want to cross it and you want to play it up the left side and it, it, it's, it's just it makes you think a little more which I enjoy oh, and it gives me more opportunity to spray it one direction or the other all right, let's play soon. I owe you a round. Thanks. Hold on. Uh, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. Speaking of golf, I, I was going to text you this, but then when you said, don't come on the pod, it was perfect. So last week, I went up to the beach. Um, I went up to uh, and you saw play a couple t- rounds of and, golf. And you saw Tony. I did. Did he mention this to you? He called me and left me some rambling message. I haven't talked to him about it yet. But what what, what was it? So, tell me. So my, you know Monty from Starboard. Of so I'm at yeah. Rehoboth Country Club. I, I just met Monty for a drink after he had played around. They had like a, a a member guest, but not their big member guest going on. And I was just having a cocktail. He's like, "Oh, do you want to say hi to Tony?" And I was like, "Yeah, I'd love to, but you know, I don't really know him. Like, I don't want to, to pretend like we know each other." He's like, "Ah, whatever, just come over here." So we go over there, we're talking, and he couldn't have been nicer. He was eating dinner, so I wasn't really trying to interrupt him. But he could have been nicer. We chit-chat for a minute or two. And I think Monty kind of mentioned radio, but whatever. And then at the end of it, he kind of he looked up, and it was like something clicked. He's like, hey, you're Sheehan's boy, aren't you? <laughs> he said and that? Like, yeah, that, that, that's what clicked. I think that we, I think we've had some conversations about you before, and I've, I've told him what a good guy you are. I, it, was, it was very cool, honestly, because it meant on some level – Mr. Tony knows who the hell I am, so it, it was uh, it was very cool. Well, let me just tell that. you, as you know, being down there, it's much better to know Monty than it is to know Tony. 
It's, <laughs> it's much more advantageous. And Monty listens to the podcast every once, once in a while. So, Monty, everybody knows. Uh, it's much better yeah. to know Monty from the Starbird than uh, to know Tony. Um, Monty, Monty is America's greatest host. He's a great host, and it's a great place, and it's a lot of fun. And so, wait a minute. I want to. I want to be clear on this. Did you play Rehoboth? No, I didn't get okay. up there till six thirty seven. So we played uh, a, a couple of neighborhood guys set up a tournament. We played Baywood Green yeah, on yeah. Friday. Of course, is, it's beautiful. Dude. I've never been there. Yeah, gorgeous. And, um, Cripple Creek great. on it's, Saturday is great. Nice. Yeah. They're, they're, they got some construction going on, but it was it was really great. We were appreciative to be able to get out there, so it was fun. All right, well, we'll get out uh, soon, and um, you know, the golf, of course, when we play, is really um, just the appetizer Second, to whatever. Secondary to the Tito's. Secondary <laughs> to whatever comes afterwards. All right, be good. Thanks yeah. for doing this. No problem. Thank you. All right, thanks to JP. We're done for the day. Tommy will be back tomorrow.